Great to see you. Brayton Duncan just arrived with donuts, and it's not going to hurt my feelings at all if you get up and go grab one. Um, Six-car deep love today? That's, that's a good man right there. That's a good man. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna to roll. Uh, but please, if you are just dying for a donut, go get you one. But let's pray first. Lord, we love you, and we are thankful for you today. And um, I just stand here before you today, um, just a sinner in need of grace. And I need your blood and I need your mercy to help me. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts today through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, cool. So when you hear the word church, oh, by the way, welcome to Next this morning. It's great to see all of you. When you hear the word church, what comes to mind? Just don't raise your hand, just blurt out answers. Huh? People. Fellowship. Community. God's house. Refreshing. I like that. Keep it coming. Teaching. Preaching. Too long. <laughs> oh, come on. Somebody was thinking it. Somebody thought it. Music. What else? What do you think of whenever you think of church? Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. What are some other things you think of whenever you think of church, whenever you hear that word church? Relationships. Worship. Opportunity. I could unpack that one. What else? We covered it all. What is your earliest memory of church? <laughs> Julie and I had this discussion on the way to church this morning, and would you you don't have to sing it, but would you just share it? That's so cute. Y'all are like church nerds together right there. That's cool. That's cool. What? Anybody else? First memory of church. Go ahead, Case. How old were you? About seven. That's a good one. What you got, Bo? I bet that got a lot of discussion at the old dinner on the grounds later. Hey, somebody else, first memory of church? T-Roy.
Was it that first room at the top of the stairs? I remember those old Sunday school rooms at first gen. I remember, um, this is literally the first memory that I have of church. I can remember visiting a place called Victory Fellowship or something like that. Um, it's, it's called Victory Harvest now. It's on, it's on North Flannery. And I remember uh, two things. I remember their sign because it was, a, it was a cross with fire coming off of it. And that's kind of a strange image for some reasons. But it was like the styrofoam sign, and it made an impression on me. And I also remembered it because they worshiped differently. Um, they, they sang different songs, and they raised their hands in church. And that was different from the vast religious experience I'd had up to that point. I think I was like six, maybe, maybe five. But it, it had an impact on me as a kid. And here I am now. I'm, I'm 42 years old. I'll be 43 in December. Is that right? I always forget how old I am. <laughs> And, and church has had this impact on me that's, that's very hard to quantify. A lot of the, um, the great things in my life have happened to me either in church or because of church. Jeremy, some of the greatest things in my life have happened to me in church or because of church. I first heard the gospel in church. I repented of my sins for the first time in church. I was filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time in church. I met my wife in church. I found a, a purpose to life in church. I met lifelong friends in church. I ran backwards into a calling to ministry in church. I dedicated my newborn children to God in church. I baptized all three of my kids in church. And you just you can't put a number on that stuff. And, and without this thing that we call church, most of that stuff that I just talked about wouldn't have happened for me or it would have happened very differently. But is that why we do church? Is that why we come to church? Is that why we are a church? Because some of those things, while the, I mean, they're beautiful and they're important and they, they pull at the heartstrings, they can be pretty, pretty self-serving and pretty shallow. Is church a dating service? Is it just is it a good place to meet new friends? Is it a place to to network with like minded people, Nathan? Is it a, a path to self-discovery and finding meaning to your life? Is church a support group for clean living? You know, some of you I, I've known for a long time, some of you I've not known for a long time, but we might have reformed hellraisers and whiskey drinkers. Here in the house today. And church helps keep you straight. Some of you just like the clean living lifestyle. You don't like all that drinking and cussing stuff. And so 
church is just a place where you hang out with people that don't like that stuff like you do. It gives you an opportunity to, to hang around with people that, in, that enjoy the same lifestyle and think the same way. Is church just a means to fulfill these ingrained obligations that I've got in my heart due to tradition or culture or parents or religion? Why church? Why do we do this? Why are we here? Why were we here last Sunday? Why will we probably be back here again next Sunday? And maybe if you're really religious, like the Wednesday night in between. So what I want to do today in my own goofy way is, is answer the question, why church? In a few different ways. And I'll tell you all right now, this is going to be a hot mess. So just hold on. I've pulled this from so many different places. I hope it all makes sense by the time we're done. But I want to look at four reasons for why church. And I'm only going to talk about four, but there's a whole bunch more than that. And that's one of the problems I had trying to put all this together because there's so much to cover. But I want to talk about four reasons for why church. And then I want to give you just one next step for this week. That will hopefully get your brain and your spirit engaged in thinking about church and, and your role in it and its role in you. So that's where we're headed today. So here we go. Why church number one? Because God called you to belong, not just to believe. God called you to belong, not just to believe. You know, even... In, in the perfect, sinless environment of Eden, God said in Genesis 2 and 18, he said, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. It's not good. And he had looked at every other part of creation, said, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is very good. Wait a minute. Something's not good. And the first not good thing in creation was that man was by himself. See, we're we are created for community. We are, we are fashioned for this thing that, that some of you talk about called fellowship. We, we're formed for family. And none of us can fulfill God's purpose. None of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. The Bible doesn't, it, it doesn't talk about solitary saints. It doesn't talk about spiritual hermits. Now, I know that John was by himself on the Isle of Patmos. Whenever he got the revelation, all you biblical scholars in the room, he was exiled. He didn't want to be by himself. He, he was ordered there. Okay. And Jesus went off by himself for certain times to pray. But when it came time to do the work of his mission, you know how he did it? He did it with disciples working alongside him. He couldn't have. <laughs> he could have. He could have done it by himself. I mean, he's God, right? He could have done it by himself. He, that's not the example that he set. He fulfilled his calling. Y'all watch this. He fulfilled his calling through community. As a matter of fact, family and community are, are so integral to God's plan that whenever he came to bring us the gospel, he had himself born into a family to do that. 
You need to think about that. He didn't have to do it that way. I mean, he's God. He could have just appeared and poof, smoke. Here I am. Meteor out of heaven. Bolt of lightning. However he wanted to do it. But that's not how he chose to do it. Why? No, I'm going to put myself in a family to show you how important, how integral family is to my plan. Instead, he... Instead of doing it by himself, which he could have, he embarked on, on this most important mission that the world has ever seen through the vehicle of family and community. So here, here's the deal. While your relationship with Jesus is personal, God never intended for it to be private. In God's family, you are connected to every other believer. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 5, and this is the New New International Version, it says, in Christ, we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all of the others. Following Christ, folks, includes belonging, not not just believing. C.S. Lewis noted that the word membership is a is a word that's of Christian origin, but our world has just emptied that of, of what it really means. You know, stores offer discounts to members. That's that's the big thing. Any Amazon Prime members in the house today? <laughs> Two day shipping. Woo. They 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 offer discounts and, and advertisers use member names to create mailing lists. You know, I'm I'm a member of Sam's Club. Maybe you're a member of Costco. I'm a member of Walgreens Reward Points, and you better let me put my number in before you ring me up because I want my reward points. So let me just say, membership in, in the family of God is is it's neither inconsequential nor is it something to just be ignored. You know, do you want to join our rewards club? No, I don't want to do that. But you you don't ignore being a part, being a member of God's family. Because the church, folks, is God's agenda for the world. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is in Matthew 16 and 18. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, that's a pretty good reward perk right there for being a part of God's community. But to Paul... Being a member of the church, it it wasn't a club or cards or reward points. Being a member meant being a vital organ of a living body. That's how Paul described it. A vital organ of a living body in this, this indispensable, interconnected part of the body of Christ. Romans 12 and 24 or I'm sorry, 12 and, and verses 4 through 5 in the message say it this way. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole. Not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? The church, folks, is a body, not a building. It's it's an organism, not an organization. And you you run that metaphor on out. 
for the organs of your body to fulfill their design purpose, they've got to be connected to your body. Well, the same is true for you. The same is true for every single one of you as a part of Christ's body. You were, you were created for a specific role, but you will miss out on that completely if you're not connected to the body, which is a living local church. We're talking about why church? Well, you know, you discover your role in life through your relationships with others. If, if, if an organ of your body or a part of your body is somehow cut off and, and severed from, the, from it, and what, what happens to it? It dies. It, it will shrivel and die. The heart is super important, but it can't exist on its own. Brains are super important, but they can't exist on their own. The eye, preferably two, super important, but can't exist on its own. And neither can you. Disconnected and cut off from the lifeblood of a local body, your spiritual life will do exactly what an organ will do if it's severed. It will wither and it will die. Ephesians 4 and 16 in the New Living Translation says this, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. That's a miracle. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's why one of the first symptoms of spiritual decline is absenteeism from the local assembly. Inconsistent attendance at worship, other gatherings of believers. Whenever we become careless about fellowship or fellowship becomes meaningless to us, it's, it's a sign that we're not connected the way that we need to be. So in asking why church, we might also ask, why live in a body? Look at the way Scripture, and I've been showing this to you, with the way that Scripture describes being members or parts of a body when describing the church. Most people, barring those with serious mental issues, love their own bodies. Now you may say that you don't love your body. You may not even think that you love your body. <laughs> you might be... Hey, what's up, Eric? You might be one of those people that you look in the mirror and you are like, my Lord and my God. Great and perfect are the workings of your hands. <laughs> you might be one of those people that looks in the mirror and says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> but either way, either way, you let somebody try to do something that harms one of the members or the parts of your body, of your physical body. You let somebody try to pluck out an eye or, or cut off a foot. You're not going to be like, oh, you know what? Just go ahead and take the other one because I don't really like this body anyway. No, you're going to do one of two things. Somebody tries to harm your physical body. You're either going to fight or you're going to run. We love our bodies more than we admit. Regardless of how you feel whenever you look in the mirror... 
You take care of that stinking thing you're in. We do. We feed it. We water it. We clothe it. We bathe it. Sometimes some of us more than others. We go to the doctor when it's sick. We give it rest when it's tired. We give it coffee. Some of us make it go to the gym and eat weird organic stuff. Because we, we care about our bodies. And we care about our bodies because we live in them and we've only got one. Well, guess what? The church is a spiritual body and God has placed you in one. Specifically, He's placed you in this one. And you're a part of it and you live in it. And that physical body that you care about more than you like to admit, that one's temporary. But this other spiritual body that you're a part of, that one is eternal. Y'all think about it. So why church, number one? Because you're made to believe, or you're made to belong, not just, not just believe. You're made to belong, not just believe. Why church, number two? Because you show you believe by belonging. The Bible calls Christians organs within a body, calls them sheep. And calls them children. So you run that out. An, an organ without a body, that's an unnatural state. A sheep without a flock, that's an unnatural state. A child without a family, that's an unnatural state. In Ephesians 2 and 19, in New Living Translation, it says, So now, you Gentiles, that's, that's you, you bunch of Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. In the Living Bible, it says it this way. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. Y'all believe the Bible? Okay, well, the Bible says you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Do, do we realize today that the church, this, this household, is so significant that Jesus died for it? He went to the cross for this body. Ephesians 5 and 25 says. For husbands. This means love your wives. You get an amen from the ladies. It says. Just as. Christ loved the church. He gave up his life. For her. A household. A church. A family. For you to belong to. Was so important. That Jesus died. So you could have one. Not only did he die so we could have a family to belong to, but he also said in John 13 and 35 that your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I got to thinking on this one a little bit. A church family, according to scripture, a church family identifies you as a genuine believer. So how can I claim to be a follower of Christ if I'm not committed to a specific group of disciples? One thing I know about family, and we'll, we'll see if this is true of yours, family's messy. I mean, it's a hot mess. 
Because, I mean, every family's got its share of issues. You've got the black sheep, the crazy uncle, the mom issues, the dad issues, the in-laws, the outlaws. I mean, family is... Well, guess what? Church family is no different. It's almost like God is saying to all of creation, y'all want to see how powerful I am? Well, watch this. I'm going to make these crazy things. And I'm going to call them people. And then I'm going to put them together in one big crazy thing called a family. And I'm going to use the big crazy made up of the little crazies to work out my plan for all of creation. That's how powerful I am. And whenever we come together in love as a church family from all of our different backgrounds, our different races, our social statuses, status, status, whatever, political views, educations, personalities, you, you take all of that different background stuff and you put it together in a church family it is a witness to the world of the overpowering love of jesus christ because that's the only way it works galatians 3 28 through 29 it says there is no longer jew or gentile yeah i know you people have been divided for thousands of years and the Jews always thought that they were better than the Gentiles. And the Gentiles didn't understand the Jews. And you've got these, this myriad of issues. All of these different backgrounds and political views and social views. I know that. But there's not Jews and Gentiles anymore. Jesus erased all that. There's, there's no longer slave or free male and female. For you are all, say it, one in Jesus Christ. And now you belong to Christ and you are the true, true children of Abraham. So you show you believe by belonging. We're talking about why church. Train might come off the tracks on this one. Y'all bear with me. But why church number three? Because you have joy by belonging. You have joy by belonging. I'm going to read you a story. It's found in the Gospel of John chapter 2. And this is in the New Living Translation. It says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan, Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. That's important. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And Jesus replied, dear woman, that is not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus is doing his Jesus thing, just... I'm not even going to argue with you right now, Jesus. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars of water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over he said, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, in other words, whenever they're too drunk to know the difference, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. Now, I just want to point out a few things about this story. The first one is in verse 2, it says, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. They didn't, they didn't crash a party. They were invited. 
Jesus, is, this, this is going to mess, this whole thing is going to mess up some of your theology. Jesus is with his disciples. Don't you think you ought to slow down a little bit there, champ? I mean, they weren't worried about, no. Get Jesus to the party. And all those guys with Jesus, they're cool too. Tell them to come to the party. And the second thing I want to point is, point out is, they ran out of wine. Now, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this one. But I'm thinking that maybe it's possible that the reason why they ran out of wine is because they drank it all. And they drank all of it. Now, you, you Bible scholars and theologians in the room, y'all know that wine in Scripture is a type of joy, right? And the reason for that is, is because when you drink wine, you get happy. And because they drank all of the wine, they were really happy. And it wasn't grape juice. It was wine. And people were okay with having Jesus and his disciples, his family, where there was a lot of joy being enjoyed. And then the next thing I want to point out is, when the wine was gone, Mary is okay with asking Jesus to make some more. Mary said, Jesus, they're out. And this is going to be a, a huge embarrassment to, to this family. And, and you can help. So Jesus, we need more wine at this party. Otherwise, what's meant to be, watch me now, what's, I told you this is probably going to be a train wreck. What was... If you don't make more wine, otherwise what's meant to be a joyful celebration for this family is going to be an embarrassment. So what does Jesus do? And here's the fourth thing I want to point out about this story. Standing nearby were six stone water jars that were used for what? They were used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. And each one could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And I'm thinking like those big stone things that people put as decorative stuff out in their yard. And they're big and they're heavy. And it can hold 20, 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, you take those things that are normally used to follow the law. And fill them up with water. Because I've got a different purpose in mind. These, these ceremonial pots, they, they're for washing and cleansing. They're made out of, they, they were heavy and they were burdensome pots. And Jesus says, fill those with water. And water is a New Testament type of the what? The Spirit. Somebody kind of eked it out because you're not real sure, but you've been going to Sunday school for a little while, so maybe you heard that somewhere along the way. But water is a New Testament type of the Spirit. And it's water from heavy, burdensome pots that pertain to the law that Jesus used to bring joy to a family. 
I can't, I can't get past the message here. Folks, you, you can have all the law you want. This is probably going to get me in trouble later. But you can have all the law you want. You can have one pot or you can have six pots of law. But if the law is all you have, you are going to run out of joy. And Jesus is saying, if you've got me and you bring me into the family and you make me a part of your family celebration, then you'll have the other part of what a family needs. Because you need both. You need the law, but you, you also need joy. And the only way you get both is to have me in the family. It's one of the greatest issues. I'm about to climb up on a soapbox. I can feel it happening right now in my spirit. But it's one of the greatest challenges and issues that would-be churchgoers in our day are facing. Is law without joy. All of the work and the labor and the burden of the big stone water pots. With none of the celebration and none of the joy. And it makes for some pretty embarrassing and awkward family celebrations. This, this is really going to mess up y'all's theology, but y'all please stay with me. Church should be fun. Where there is spirit outpouring and Jesus is moving and working, joy is poured out and joy is replenished. And can I just say, Grace Church, I have a blast with you people. I have an absolute blast with you people. Three, four weeks ago, whenever we're going out and, and moving 980 pound mattresses and ripping out sheetrock and it's hard work and it's stinky work and you're dealing with just devastation in people's lives. And we're having fun. I, it's, it's fun. It's because there's something else there other than just law. It's because there's joy. That didn't go nearly as bad as I thought it was going to. All right, here's the last one. We've got to hurry. Why church number four? Because God reveals his unique role for you through your church. Church reveals God's unique role for you. God, God's got a unique role for you, a specific role for you to play in his family. And, and that unique role is called your ministry. And he has gifted you for that assignment. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 7, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us, not just certain ones, each of us. Why? As a means of helping the entire church. Doesn't that make you feel good to know that God has not only placed you in a specific church, but he's placed you there because there is a gifting, a natural talent, ability that you have that can help his people. Your local church, your, your, your fellowship, your family is the place that God designed for you to discover, to develop, and to use those gifts that he put inside you. And you may have a, a wider ministry, but that's in addition to what you do in, your, in a local body. Jesus didn't promise to build anybody's ministry, but he did promise he was going to build his church. So through church, guys, we share in Christ's mission in the world, whenever Jesus walked the earth, God worked through the physical body of Jesus 
to touch people, to heal people, to help people, to teach people, to instruct people, to grow people. Today, he uses his spiritual body, which is the church, God's instrument on earth. To heal people, to help people, to teach people, to grow people. And you, every single one of you are called and equipped to be a part of that spiritual body that does that. As, as members of the body, we are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his heart, and he works through us. And guys, every single one of us has a contribution to make and a role to fill, a part to play. Ephesians 2 and 10 in the message, Paul says he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. For some of you, not all, but for some, maybe the reason that you feel so listless and, and drifting and lacking in purpose is because you have yet to join him in the work he does. The good work that he's got already all prepared for you to do. So why aren't you doing that? Is it because church hurt you in the past? Church let you down? Left you feeling unfulfilled? It happens, doesn't it? Just like family. This week, I want you to engage the body differently. This, this is your next step. We're wrapping up right here. I'm going to give you one thing to do. Not three, not seven, as I've done in the past. This is reasonable. One thing. I'm going to give you one thing to do. All right, so Tony Horton, right? P90X, he's always talking about muscle confusion. Okay? Yeah, how many of you have watched the infomercial and you know what he's talking about? Okay? I think it works. And so this, this week, I want you to try some P90X philosophy in your engagement with the church. I challenge you today, I want you to find one way in between now and next Sunday to engage the body, the church, your family differently. When I ask you to do anything crazy, I just want you to do something different. What do you mean, Jason? I, I, I mean, I want you to get out of your routine of doing whatever it is you usually do and do something different. If you don't usually pray with people in the altar service, just slide up by somebody and put your arm around them and pray with them. Do something different. If you don't usually pray for Grace Church members during the week, whenever you go through your time of prayer and you only pray for, pray for family and yourself, pick one person in this church that you know is hurting or has needs and pray for them. Go to lunch with somebody in this church that you don't know as well as you would like to know. You know what? She seems pretty cool. I'd like to know her a little bit better. Well, set up a lunch date. Send somebody outside of your usual circle of friends an encouraging text message or phone call. <sighs> Make an actual phone call. Commit to attending that small group that somebody keeps inviting you to. Ask pastor, hey, is there something I can do for you around the church this week? 
I guarantee you he will find at least one thing for you to do. Go back and listen to a podcast or a sermon. And not just one time, but listen to it two or three times until it really gets in on the, on the inside of you. Do something different. Give financially to a, to a person in need or, or a church ministry. Just find one person, one thing that you haven't invested in and do something about it. Engage the body differently. Who's going to accept the challenge? Y'all look around. Uh, 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 get them up. A little bit of peer pressure on that. Just do something different. I wonder how many lives are going to be changed and impacted this week just because you're willing to do something different. Why church? Well, a lot of reasons. Reasons. Because reasons, as Ethan likes to say around our house. But those were four good ones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the body that we're a part of. And we thank you specifically for this body that we're a part of. These people challenge me. They, they force me to grow. And, and they inspire me to grow. And we all do that for each other. And that's because of the way you worked it out. Even though we're like crazy people and we're in the middle of this crazy family, the miracle of your love is that you just make it all work. And today we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would help these people to not be liars this week and to keep their challenge to do something different in engaging the body. Now that I'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.